Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. Open your Bibles, please, to Exodus 20. Uh, today we start our new series, The Ten Commandments of Marriage, and uh, The Ten Commandments. Think of that. Exodus 20, repeated in Deuteronomy, uh, The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Popularized in movies, pilloried in the press, where there's no place for authority, let alone deity. The Ten Commandments mocked by the immoral as a needless restriction on personal autonomy, mandated by the legalist as a measure of personal superiority. The Ten Commandments. Yet here they stand between 35 and 40 centuries uh, old, uh, unchanged. Turn to your neighbor and say unchanged. Unaltered by higher criticism, unedited by cultural relativism, unmoved by religious pluralism, uh, the Ten uh, Commandments. Well, let's understand them clearly and uh, let's apply them carefully uh, to the God-given institution of marriage. Before we do uh, anything else, uh, let's read them. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us, we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. The fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. 
Well, we could be applying uh, these commandments to any subject. We could do a series, and maybe someday we will do a series on the Ten Commandments of Finances or the Ten Commandments of any sphere of life that you would choose because uh, God's laws have a rightful biblical application to every aspect of our life. So uh, what I want to do is just cover the first two in this message, but at the beginning of each message, we're going to do a little uh, uh, section that I'm calling a a theology uh, of commandment. A theology of commandment because we live in a society that so repudiates authority that it is difficult, you got to just hear this, it's difficult for you to hear commandment and authority and understand it in the context of a loving God who is seeking covenant relationship. And we tend to think of authority as something that is, is not to be trusted, something that's going to end up causing us uh, pain. And uh, sadly, we have too many reasons to uh, reference it in that regard. Uh, but God's commands are, uh, just real quickly, and I'm going to do one of these uh, each week in more detail, but God's commands are, notice, uh, common, protection, life, unchanging, and binding. God's commands are all of those things. And here's what I mean by those words. By common, I mean rightly understood. Authority is not a dirty word. It's a beautiful word. And commandment is something that God has frequently used to keep all of us. Turn to your neighbor and say he means you. Commandment is something that God has frequently used to keep all of us on track. Where would we be without God's commands? They're very common. And then by protection, I mean uh, God's commands are not restrictions to keep us tethered to misery. Far from it. They are protections to keep us from pain. When I say that God's commandments are life, I mean God's commandments are are, uh, fully congruent with manufacturer specifications for human happiness. He made us He knows how we work best, and God's commands are life to us. Uh, Moses said, see, I have set before you today life and death. Choose life that you may live. God's commands are common. They are protection. They are life. And then this, they are unchanging. They are not anchored uh, to culture or to education or to any other shifting reality. They are anchored to the character of the Lord God himself who said, I am the Lord, I change not. And so the commands are common protection, life, unchanging, and then understand this, they are binding. They place us under obligation. There is a pending accountability for all of us for God's commands. We will cover each of those now uh, in a little more detail uh, each week, but this week I just want to talk about common. God's commands are common. 496 times in the Old Testament um, we see uh, the word uh, command. It means to order, to appoint, to direct. It means do this. Or do not do this. Do it. Don't do it. That's a command. 
54 times in Genesis, 34 times in Exodus. Uh, the noun form, not command, to command, but commandment, the noun form is used 184 times in the Old Testament. Another form uh, is used uh, that, that means to limit uh, uh, or, or to task or to create an obligation uh, is used 131 times. So uh, it's common. Everyone lift up your voice and say it's common. And that's just the actual words. Uh, add to that the countless verbal forms and endings in the Hebrew, which is, uh, don't be hurt by this, a uh, significantly uh, superior language of expression. Uh, in, in English, we have one word for love. In Greek, there are three words for love. In, in uh, Hebrew, there are um, uh, six or more words for that. You know exactly what you're talking about. And so it is with tenses. The negative particle with the imperfect tense, the infinite absolute, something called the peel imperative. Uh, Deuteronomy 5 and 6, reviewing this passage, uses the word commandment over and over and over. All of that to say this. One of the most common ways that our Creator, who loves us, relates to us, is through commandment. It's common. It's very common. And, and well, if we just take our minds and just scrub them free with biblical detergent from the damage that is done to our thinking by the culture that we live in, commandments are wonderful, wonderful things given uh, commonly by God. In the law of God, commands are frequent constant, replete. The Word of God is replete with repeated repetition of commandment. Now, not a big fan of stop signs. Uh, not a big fan of stop signs. Um, can we just have a little venting here, a little venting at church? Everybody good? Um, not a big fan at all of the cameras on the top of the lights that tell you you did something how come they took a picture of me and said I rolled that stop? I'm going to need to see a video to know that for sure, not just a picture of my car. Had a big, nobody with me on that? How many people got one of those picture tickets already? I knew this was a rebellious church. So anyway, I didn't want to talk about this for a while because I was sort of afraid to tell you all this because I was pretty upset about it in the summer. But um, back in 2009, once our kids were grown and, and married, and I, uh, so I bought a Harley. And uh, here's a picture of me with some of the guys in the church. We'd go out riding and stuff. And, and I'm, I like it. I mean, I just like it. I get Kathy on there and we go places. And I had this Harley and and, and, and uh, so, but I, when I got it, I had to have a bunch of rules because my wife was like, you know, I'm, reasonably fond of you most days. I'd like this to go on a little longer. And, and, and we used to actually joke, we called them donor cycles. And because and just so many problems. So I had to have a bunch of rules if I was going to do this. You know, I'm going to see the road all at once and I'm going to both hands and, and no texting. Well, that seems like fairly obvious. <laughs> and anyway, I had a bunch of rules. I'm not going to break these rules. And, and, uh, and I'm going to write, well, so anyway, so I was... Uh, this is what I didn't want to really tell you, but I was going east on Big Timber 
on a Monday, that's my day off, and I was actually going to meet Kathy at the train in Elgin, where we live now, and I was just, I was early, I wasn't in a hurry, I was actually following the school bus, and I thought, well, you know, I'm not even going to pass it, because I'm just not in a hurry, I'm just enjoying it, it was a beautiful day, and, and I was riding along on this motorcycle, and uh, then I was, like, noticing, you know, you know those days in the springtime, uh, when you can't remember these days, and and, and I, I started looking at the forest preserve. You know, that's a great concept, forest preserve. And I was like, man, that's so beautiful. And it's just all the little roads through it. And we've had picnics there. And that's just such a good... And I looked back there, ah! at the road. And there was a school, the school bus stopped. And I couldn't. And I hit the brake so hard and the handbrake and the foot brake and the bike went. Um, and, and I got about 10 feet from the back of the bus. And I was like, I'm not going to stop. And, and so then I swerved and tried to get around the bus. Well, the, the reason it stopped, and I didn't have it in my mind, the reason it stopped was because they all stop at the railroad tracks. <laughs> so I, I swerved to try to get around it, but then that's where it really narrows at the railroad tracks. There was a guardrail there, and I couldn't kind of get around the side. And, and I was, um, so my left uh, handle hit the right corner of the back of the bus and, and, and spun the wheel around and the engine guard hit the bottom of the bus and the front fender crunched underneath the corner of the bus and the engine guard threw my foot into the engine. But all of that force, because I slowed down a fair bit when I hit the bus, all that force um, made the bike kind of spin out from underneath me. It kind of threw it this way and put it out from underneath me. And I put my left foot down because I'm a little taller and I didn't even fall down. I just kind of stumbled forward and and had a little bruise on my foot, and by God's grace, you know, I wasn't hurt. There was no kids on the bus. The lady wasn't super happy about it who was driving, but, but we worked that out. And um, so I was super mad at the lady on the bus, for, and I got out. When she came back, I yelled at her for stopping. It's her fault, right? It's her fault. I need you to agree with me. Put up your hand if you agree it's her fault. I thought if I waited, you'd have more sympathy. I... So I also wrote a letter to the Forest Preserve because they distracted me with their beautiful properties and it is their fault and I'm going to sue them. Put up your hand if you agree that it's the Forest Preserve's fault. All right, come on, point to whose fault it is. Come on. I didn't follow the rules. I made my own rules. I should have had my eyes on the road. I should have been anticipating what's coming. I did that so faithfully. I never had any other problem. I never even locked up my tires one time. I was so careful. And I stopped following my own rules. And it's no one to blame but myself. And I knew it. And I was embarrassed about it. Normally, I tell you know you guys in messages what happened this week but I didn't want to talk about it because I was so embarrassed about it because I didn't follow my own rules and if we don't follow God's rules and our life ends up in a heap we have no one to point to who's to blame I'm to blame I have no one to blame but myself now with that as a backdrop let's go into the first command that's a theology of commandment. First command, um, you see it there. And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
Verse 3, here it is, number one. You can even write a little hashtag one right there. Number one of the ten, you shall have no other gods before me. Jot it down. Command number one, no other gods. No other gods. No other gods. Pretty clear, pretty clear right? I mean, that's easy to proclaim. No other gods. It's a little harder to expound upon. Because I can look at you all already, you're like, got it. I don't, I don't have any uh, additional explanations, really. Um, no other impotent, lowercase g, fake gods. In effect, saying, I am the omnipotent God. Accept no impotence. No tactile dysfunction God. No fake I am omnipresent. So if your God could be dropped off at the flea market and left there, um, that's a fail. I am omnipotent. I am omnipresent. I am the omniscient God. So none of your harloting with false gods. I know. I'm God. No Buddhas. Buddha is a false God in the face of the one true God who said, no other gods, no Vishnus. Vishnu is a false religion, false God in the face of the one true God who said, no other gods, no Brahmins, no Krishnas. No phony imposter, pedophile, prophet, Muhammad's. No false gods. And no fear in saying so. One true God. And everyone who truly knows him, and many claim to and do not, But everyone who truly knows him and follows him is more loving and more giving and more caring and more generous and more selfless than they ever were before they knew him. And those who are following false gods are the very opposite of all of that. And so this is the top of the top ten. Just me, Elohim, El Shaddai, El Elyon, Yahweh is my name. Just me. I'm in charge. Do what I say. I'm writing it down. I'm God. Seems kind of obvious, right? How interesting that he would appeal to his reputation in making this claim. Notice in verse 2. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, 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 see? This is happening at Mount Sinai. And the children of Israel, two million of them, are gathered around, and God's brought them out of slavery, and he's like, I can say this to you. You were a slave. And I did ten plagues, and I brought you out 
and I opened the Red Sea, and I drowned your enemies, and I set you free, and I proved who I am, and I can lay it down. I'm God. No other gods. See? You say, well, really, really, really did he have to go into all that? While the hand of God was holding the finger of Moses and engraving the Ten Commandments on a tablet of stone, Exodus 32, Aaron, number two, was down below. Moses was gone too long. Aaron says to the people, give me all your gold, give me all your jewelry. He's gone, he's gone. I'm in charge now, come on. And they, he melts it all down and he makes it into a, tell me, tell me. He makes it into a golden calf and then the people have a orgy and they start dancing around the golden calf and saying, there's our God. That's who brought us up out of Egypt. While God is engraving, you shall have no other gods before me. Apparently, this is a super slippery thing for the human uh, instrument. Apparently, sin has damaged us in such a way that we quickly, right there is the cloud, Moses is in it, and we can't remember who God is. How recently has God done something awesome for you and you struggle to remember no other gods before me? The reason we struggle with authority is because we fear disadvantage. We fear disadvantage and we foolishly think to ourselves, you know we do. I'm battling the same sin nature that all you are. We think to ourselves, I, I might be missing out. I might be missing out with God. I mean, Moses is up on the mountain for, what, 10 minutes, 10 days? What was it? They already have God number one. They already have commandment number one in the shredder. And Moses isn't even down yet. We fear disadvantage. And so God raises his resume. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I've shown you I've earned this, no other gods. Now, we're going to apply that command right now to marriage. Right now to marriage. Here it is. God will be the first and final authority in our marriage. You listening? Now, men, I want you to hear this. Those of you who are married men, those of you who want to be married, those of you who want another chance, those of you who are trying to influence people who are married, all men listening now. Now, this is the responsibility of every person here. But all of these commands are directed, first of all, in the singular. This isn't 
All y'all shall have no other gods. This is you shall have no other god before me. And you shall have no other god before me. And it's directed to the men. All are accountable. Men are responsible. No other gods at your house. All right? No other gods at your house. That's on you. What an awesome foundation to build your marriage on. God will be first and God will be final as authority in our marriage. Now, this is the same God who said in Genesis 2.24, do you know, do you know, do you know? Thank you, that a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. Uh, marriage is God's idea. Okay, that's God's idea. One man with one woman for life. Everyone say, that's God's idea. Say it. That's God's idea. And no one has the right to edit God. No one has the right to say, well, we're changing what marriage is. You got to hear me because this isn't going where you think it's going. No one has the right to change what God says about marriage. But, everyone say but. Please think about this. We have not been tasked with policing people who reject our God to make sure that they adhere to his laws. We have not been tasked with policing God's law. We have not been tasked with protesting lawbreakers. We have only been tasked with practicing God's law ourselves, And that job is impossible without Jesus Christ. No one can put God first. No one can put God first as the final authority in their marriage apart from the assistance of the Lord himself. Having said that, please jot this down and, and just pray about it. You don't legislate morality to people. You live it. And you love people into learning through trial and error to love it too. Please think about this. Many of you have difficult people in your life, difficult people to love. Loved ones who are difficult to love. But we don't petition them and we don't protest them. We practice it ourselves and ask the Lord to work as they come to the fitful ends of sin and its consequences. We ask the Lord to make our lives a compelling example that they can run to and return to when they find out that what they thought was everything is in fact nothing and that Satan is, as the word of God has always said, he is a liar. We don't legislate morality, we live it. And we love people into learning through trial and error to love it too. Please take that into your prayer closet. Now, command number one shows up not in opposing law rejectors, 
That's not how it shows up in our marriage. No other gods shows up by embracing God's authority over my own marital status. High school students, college students, unmarried young adults. You too have to embrace God's authority over your marital status. Young marrieds, young children marrieds, adolescent children marrieds, empty nesters married, married again, widows and widowers, all of the above. We, we as a church family have to embrace God's authority over our marital status. Now, warning, beware the man that wants marriage but doesn't want God's authority. You know, you can tell, ladies, he's dating you, and, and uh, he's like, come on, babe, you know what I want, and, and we've been waiting a long time, and I, I've told you I love you, and, and, and what's it matter anyway, and we're only ones that are going to know, and that guy right there is going to be breaking more laws than just that one. Watch out for the man who is a lawbreaker. To know God's law and to reject it is lawlessness, and that shows up in a lot of areas, not just in some. The man who breaks God's law in finances, cutting corners, robbing God, not paying taxes, he doesn't fear God. And he doesn't fear the consequences of disobedience. And he doesn't fear Galatians 6-7 that says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. Proverbs 31-30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord will be praised. And that guy who, who's telling his friends... In his, maybe in his early 20s, he got to check out my girlfriend, man. She is so hot. And you say, hang on, bro. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. You're looking for the woman who fears the Lord. And he's like, oh, man, you, come on. And he, he doesn't he, see what he should do. is like, right, right, thank you. So, and he's under the authority. And, and the man who is under this book, ladies, that's the man you're looking for. And, and he, 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 you do not want to allow physical attraction, um, um, sexual intimacy, um, things that are a wonderful fulfillment of a God-honoring marriage, but a tragically short-sighted way to set up a lifetime partnership. And the man who's not under God's authority is not a candidate for a happy marriage. And I have to say that the woman who wants to be married but doesn't want God's authority, the one that had to be married, the one that couldn't wait, what's the fix for the unfaithful spouse who's not under God's authority? How do you fix that? What's the solution for a couple that's lost their love and lost their hope but God isn't number one to them. 
See, as long as I'm God, as long as my selfish dream uh, is God, uh, as long as my career is God, I am not a candidate for a happy marriage. And so I would suggest to you that the first commandment applies beautifully uh, to the subject of marriage. Absolutely so. Without no other gods, I mean, what, what's going on unless the couple, the guy's in a tux, she's in a white dress, unless the couple at the front of the church has settled commandment number one, no other gods, unless they have that settled, what, what is the purpose of the vows? Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of God. What does that imply? It implies authority. It implies commandment number one. We are gathered here in the sight of God to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. But if they're not under the authority of God, all the stuff he's going to say next is essentially worthless. Do you take this woman to be your wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and health, and forsaking all others? To give yourself only to her, as long as you both shall live? The man should fear God. And I'm not going to say that and not do it. Why? Because Ecclesiastes says, if you vow a vow, don't defer to pay it. For he takes no pleasure in fools who vow and don't pay. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. So he has all this in his mind because he's a man under authority. And, and he's like, I will. And, and the same thing for the woman. Forgive me if I don't act all that out. I hope you're seeing it. Whether you're engaged to be married, hope to be married someday, or want to get your marriage on a better track, or get it quick back where it used to be, or keep it going strong, for the rest of your life, come back to this and recommit to this. God will be the first and the final authority in our marriage. Kathy and I have been married for uh, 31 years. And uh, she leaned over, uh, she's right here, of course, you know, as she always is normally in this service. And she leaned over to me just before I uh, came up. And uh, she said, uh, good thing we have a great marriage or you totally wouldn't be preaching on this. <laughs> that actually meant a lot to me. She didn't have to say that. And... Uh, in 1986, we'd only been married for three years. And I said to my young wife, who'd been a believer maybe only for five or six years, I said, honey, I really think that God wants us to move to Chicago to go to seminary. We prayed about it, we talked about it, and I'm sure she didn't want to leave her mother and her sisters, and I'm sure she didn't want to leave everything that was familiar to her, but she was, if God wants us to do it, we'll do it. And a woman under God's authority trusted her husband, and we came down here, never dreaming we would stay here. But God's authority was guiding our steps. I could take you to a very specific time in 1992, and again in 2002, and again in 2012, where I said to my wife, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm not doing this anymore. And my wife said to me, you're not God. And we're not quitting. 
Not just a woman under authority, but a woman who insisted that her man be under God's authority. Now, I know women can't make that so, but my wife knew that we've committed our life to it being so, and her ability to appeal to a higher authority that I had to submit to. Do you see how that wires your relationship into the highest potential happiness? All right? And yes, men lead their homes, yes, 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 men lead their homes, but any leader who knows anything about leading knows that you, you keep uh, the uh, primary partner on the team, and you don't go places, you don't want to go together. Some of you high-powered, I'm in charge of my home brothers, ought to read 1 Peter 3, which describes the marriage relationship as heirs together of the grace of life. God forgive those of you who, who, who somehow broker in a misunderstanding of God's authority and Lord your authority over your wife when the Bible says that Jesus' selfless life is the example of what it means to love and lead your family. The greatest servant in the church, Jesus Christ. And the greatest servant and sacrificial leader in the home is the man. And you ought to be like, check, because I can quote Ephesians 5.25 if you need me to. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, now the man who's not under commandment number one wants to argue the point. But the man who is with me in no other gods He's like, awesome, thanks for reminding me. I am on it. Now, command number two. No idols of any kind. See it there? No idols of any kind. Verse four says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. That kind of covers it, right? You shall not make for yourself a carved image implied of God no idols. What if I just make a likeness of nothing? What, what, if I, what, if I, what if I put it on a mountaintop? No, not in the heaven. What if I bury it? No, no. What if I put it in a lake? No. See, we're just covering all the bases here. This is pretty thorough. No idols of any kind anywhere. Lift up your voice and say, clear. clear. The one true God and nothing in his place. Well, it's funny that you should say that because I have this, I have this, I have this little lighthouse and it's, it's very precious to me and it makes me think of God every, because God is a protection like a lighthouse. Do you know how lighthouses work? So God is a protection like this lighthouse and every time I see it, I think about God and then, and then sometimes when I'm praying, I hold it because it reminds me of God, how he's the, and, and Jesus is the light of the world and this is, this is a... Why? Because anything that you could hold, anything that you could craft, is a massive, massive limiting of the infinite, unsearchable God. 
Oh, the depth of the riches, Romans eleven thirty three. both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Who can know the mind of the Lord? Romans 9 says, and who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to the Lord that he should be repaid back? Do you see how the Bible gives us this lofty, awesome view of God? And anything crafted shrinks God. That's great sin. Not acceptable. Not in any regard. No idols. No objects of worship. No God substitutes. It's a big part of idolatry. Something in God's place. Like stuff. My car, my cash, my cashmere. Stuff that means to me treasure. That God is only to be treasure. Or uh, sex. Sexual expectations, more of this is going to come up in this series under the seventh commandment, the eighth commandment, the ninth commandment. This is going to come up, but um, because of the prevalence of pornography, because of the number of women looking at pornography has uh, doubled in the last five years. One in five Google searches is for pornography. Sadly, we don't need educating on the subject. This mood, movie, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, listen to your pastor, that's female pornography. Women who would never dream of looking at a graphic sexual act will convince themselves that their mind's running through the meadows of possibility. And just as it is wrong for a man to objectify a woman he doesn't know and project that airbrushed, no one can measure up vision back upon their spouse, so it is wrong for a woman, a woman or anyone to allow their minds to careen through the caverns of possibilities and, and to titillate yourself with possibilities that could never be achieved in reality and subject your spouse to your disappointment because you've inflamed desire beyond the boundaries of Scripture. I don't know how to be clearer than that. Stuff and sex and substances, my drug, my alcohol, legal or illegal, make a note of this. Anything that dulls a pain, anything that dulls the pain that is supposed to push me to God is an idol. Hear it? Anything, love you, totally love you. Hear this. Anything that dulls the pain that is supposed to push me to God is an idol and is a violation of the second commandment. No false gods, no God substitutes. You know why they call it the Decalogue? The Ten Commandments is called the Decalogue. Do you know why? Decalogue. Decathlon 10. And, and 10 is good because it's like a, a, a memory device. Uh, no other gods before me. No idols. Now the first four 
are, are sometimes referred to as the first tablet. Four on this side, longer, about God, the vertical ones, and then four after that, I guess where you're looking be on this side. So four about God, vertical, with explanations, and then six working those out. So we're only halfway into the first tablet. No other gods, no idols of any kind. Here we get a reason. Why, God? Here's why. You, verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. Is God jealous? Isn't that sin? What is jealousy? Jealousy is wanting something that isn't yours. What isn't God's? Hold up. What isn't God's? Nothing isn't God's. Every inch of this universe belongs to God. Nowhere can his gaze fall, but he cannot declare, that is mine, I made it. And so while jealousy is great sin in the human creature because we want things, many things, most things that are not ours, God doesn't want anything that isn't his, but he wants everything that is his and idolatry is withholding from him what he wants most, which is you and me. That's why he says, you, can't, you can bow down to them or serve them. I, the Lord, your God. Do you hear the plea? Do you hear the heart? Do you hear the love and the reaching for relationship? I'm a jealous God. I visit the iniquities of the fathers of on the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. We talked about that in great detail in the strongholds messages and think differently. Here's the good news, family. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's apply it to marriage. Let's apply it to marriage. God's love, that jealous love, that no idols, no God substitutes, God's love will be our greatest desire and experience. You can build a marriage on that. God will be the first and final authority in our marriage. God's love will be our greatest desire and experience. This whole thing is about a love relationship. Remember when those arrogant Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus? Because they were always arguing about what was the greatest commandment. And there's so many of them in the Old Testament. These are just the top ten. And do you remember what Jesus said? He's like, what's the greatest commandment? He'll never answer this. He'll never answer this. Jesus is like, love? Like, Could you expand a little bit? Okay. Um, love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. This is all about relationship. This is not legal contract. You do this or you're going to prison. This is loving Father you will suffer if you do not hear me on these points. I love you. I want a love relationship with you. Please color inside the lines and it's going to be awesome. Do you hear his heart? Do you hear his heart? For those of you who are not yet married and want to be, we have set a very, very clear point of analysis 
not by hormones do we make our decisions, not by relational chemistry do we make our decisions. By respect for the authority of God do we find our greatest hope. Now I'm saying that, and then, like then, and he's cute, and he uh, has a decent job, and he respects his parents, all that stuff. But first, who is God to him? What is God to him? For those of you who are a newly married, boy, there's time, a lot of people sitting here on one of our campuses right now would love to go back to say, boy, if I could just go and hit reset on the last 10 or 20 years and what's happened because we didn't have that. And some of you are at a really hard place. And some of you have been doing this for a good long time and just need to keep doing it and do it more. This is the word of the Lord. Let's stand together for prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you, Father, that you lead us. Thank you, Father, that you have not left us without a witness. Your word is truth. Your word is clear. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, it comes with force to bear upon our life. Be with a couple that's had a bad week or a bad month or maybe more, God. Give them faith to believe that in conformity to your law, and under your grace and in your strength, the greatest days of marital happiness can be ahead. Be with the one considering a bad decision. Give them the courage to reverse course. Be with the one who's waiting by faith patiently for the right person, God. Give them faith to keep on waiting. You are good in your time. We trust you. We won't make a rash decision and send you the message that we don't trust you. You are our source. You are our portion. You are our provision. And while we wait for our marriage to be what we long for it to be and for our home to be under your commandments, we find in you all that we need. You are all that we need. We love you. We're leaning into you. And we're looking forward to all that we're going to learn in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name I pray, say it. Amen. amen, amen. You are loved. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see Him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.